This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I am J.A. Lovelock, a barrister and an author. Welcome back to the concluding part of my interview with Michelle McPhillips, whose son J.J. was fatally stabbed in 2017. So what's your thoughts then regarding the criminal justice system and how they dealt with your case and your son's murder? I feel they wasted the first six weeks in trying to prove that J.J. was in a gang. Um, That was wasted time. Um, obviously they can prove quite quickly if somebody's in a gang or not. Um, but they kept coming back to me as a person in the family as well about what did he do? Where did he go? Where did he hang out? Obviously they've got to ask those questions, but, um, I don't think there was enough, um, evidence taken at the scene. At one point it was Topuddle Police Station dealing with it. Then it became a Bow Police Station because it murder squad got involved. And within the four days from the 24th to the 28th, it wasn't treated as a murder case because JJ hadn't died. So therefore the investigation isn't as extreme. And then let's not forget that They've mulgregated the police stations now, so the boroughs have become bigger and more, and the murders have gone up by over 100%, let's be truthful, and the murder squads have been cut by over 50%. So where you'd have 30 people in a murder squad, now you've got 10, you know, and they're covering more boroughs. And knife crime has we're hearing it on the news every day now. It's not one person being killed, it's three at a time in one gang. They're all being done one, you know, as a group being killed. So they're doing a lot of intelligent works. Don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not slagging off the police because I really wouldn't, because it's a hard job to be doing nowadays. But this wall of silence on the street with the gangs, it's just all money. It's all to do with drugs and money. And poverty is one of the biggest crucial things in the knife crime scene because you've got your chicken shop boys where they're being picked up for chicken and chips and being told to go and work for people. Um, Some parents already know that their children are out there doing this um, because of the cost of living. And even before the cost of living, they were helping their parents pay bills and stuff. Um, you can tell if you've got your average parent doing jobs, if you're looking at their living in Islington is not cheap. Um, and your kids are coming home with 400 pound pairs of trainers on their feet. You need to be asking questions. And if they're staying out longer than they should be. But if both parents are working as well, who's taking care of the kids? So the kids are not being nurtured, as far as I'm concerned, properly. Um, It doesn't mean every parent's a bad parent because no one is born a murderer. No one is born a criminal. Society shapes us into these things, unfortunately. And with the justice system, they give 
too much support to the actual predators and not enough support to the victims' families. Um, even when you go into a court of law, you're only allowed to talk about your victim child after they're being sentenced. You're not allowed to say Jay had a life, Jay was a father, Jay had some future ahead of him. You're not allowed to say all of that, but they're allowed to say, oh, they've got mental health, they've got this, they've got that, you know, and it's very unfair because the victim should be spoken about from the beginning of the court case because that's the person that you're all in court for. Yeah. So now I don't hear from the police at all. I had numbers for police officers. I've left messages. Every time I go and do a press release or a radio program um, where there's police and higher up people in the borough and stuff, they all say to me, oh, I'm going to have a meeting with you, Mrs. McPhillips, and we're going to help you sort something out about this. I'm still waiting for those phone calls. I'm still waiting. Well, clearly, this is a terrible, terrible tragedy. And let's talk about the effect it's had on you and your family and the community. Well, the community was in total shock because in 2017, it was believed to be a black-on-black -black crime. But it's not. It's a crime of other people killing other people. Doesn't matter what country, ethnic you are, doesn't matter where you come from, how you were brought up, anybody can become a victim. And I was like everybody else in 2017 before JJ got murdered. I was ignorant to it. To me, it was somebody else's problem. And it didn't touch my doorstep, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I remember the first meeting that I went to where I actually got up and spoke about JJ. I remember a mother saying to me, now that we've got a white parent, maybe they'll start listening to us. And I felt that was so sad because it shouldn't be like that. And now it's knife crime is an everyday argument settler is how I prescribe it, because now people don't have an argument. They just pull a weapon. Mm. And these weapons are getting worse and worse mm. and more and more dangerous. And, you know, I've even asked the London mayor, we have a system in place already where you check what comes in and out of this country, deport and export, correct? Yes, correct. So how comes a machete knife? is allowed in this country when it's a knife to be used in a jungle. Mm. Mm. Why are those being allowed in? Mm. And, for example, on um, certain websites, you can buy a comb where if you take the tail of the comb off, it's a knife inside the comb. Oh, Why are they being allowed into this country? Because they're coming in from abroad. They're not being manufactured in this country. They're being manufactured abroad but they're being brought in through our exports and deports, isn't it? Mm. Imports, mm. sorry. Mm. So we could start there, and that would solve some of the problems. We've had lots of family campaigners who have gone out and got knives taken off shelves in everyday supermarkets so that kids couldn't buy knives. We've made lots of parents aware of check your drawers 
um, for your knives. And if you've got extra knives, take them out. You don't need them. You know, there's no point having 20 knives if you only use two. And if you've got teenage boys and you're in an area where you feel they could be vulnerable to this, well, you know, supervise it. You're the parent. Supervise it. And if a knife's gone missing, search the rooms, look for it, and ask where it is. Because a lot of these stabbings are with kitchen knives as well. So it's about education. It's about awareness. It's about when I go with the crib, I work with the crib um, with Jeanette Collins, and we go into schools and we do talks about knife crime. We don't go in there telling kids you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that, because they're not going to listen to it. What we try and do is educate them to make them more aware of who they're beginning to hang out with, what those people are doing. And if you're with someone that's carrying, get away from them. Don't be hanging out with them because you will get nicked by the police, arrested, because you are with that person. So therefore, you're part of that crime. So it comes down to education. And it's not just educating the children. It's educating the parents. Because a lot of the parents are out working, like I said, and they don't realise what is going on on the street. So, you know, it comes back to that. So with the justice system, they need to pour some money into education. They need to fund some of these voluntary groups that are out there, voluntary charity groups trying to educate the kids, but they're not getting the backing. The paperwork is like a mountain high to just get the backing to pay some people, not great wages either, but a lot of us work voluntarily so that we just get the message out. It's not about the money, but it's about the ones that are working and producing good people through their programs should be the ones that we're funding, not just every year. Like victim support, for example, were very poor to me. When I first approached victim support, I got given a £50 voucher for Tesco's. Mm. And I asked what it was for. And she went, well, that'll buy flowers or something towards the funeral. I said, I didn't come here for money. I came here for support. Mm. Where is the support groups? Mm. Oh, well, we can get you a counsellor, but it's a six-month waiting list. And because I did a newspaper report with the Daily Telegraph on it, I then got two of um, victim support's top people that came to see me, very nice people, and they said that I'd been treated wrongly and then they did start to support me. But I had to fight for that. And luckily, I've grown up in a, with a fighting spirit, you know, fighting to survive spirit. And I've seen so many mothers who haven't got that spirit in them because it's been totally knocked out of them, obviously, because of what's happened. Do you know what I mean? Mm, mm, and mm. these people just get given antidepressant pills and told, go away, you know, there's nothing we can do. I've actually had a doctor say to me once, because I don't take antidepressants, I refuse to, um, because it just smothers it, it doesn't get rid of it. And she said to me, well, you know, it's been nearly five years, Mrs. McPhillips. You have to get used to the fact your child's dead. Oh. And I said, I could never get used to the fact oh. that my child is dead. Never. I said, and anyone that could say that to me mm. has got no empathy whatsoever mm. and shouldn't be a bloody doctor. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. And then she went, I said it wrong. She said, it's come out wrong. I said, no, 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 you've said it. 
Mm. I say, and this is what happens to victims' families. You ask me how it's affected me, my family and the community. If someone asks me how I am, I always tell them I'm fine because Mm. I know they really don't want to hear about my pain. They really don't. It's too painful for them to listen to it. I'm head of my family. I'm the eldest of seven. And all my brothers and sisters have got four and five kids each. They've got children. So you can imagine the size of my family. And if I break down, it's like the pyramid. It collapses. It goes down the line. My father died two years after JJ. And on his deathbed, he said to me, don't sit here waiting for me to die, Michelle. Go and find your son's murderer. Don't ever give up. Hmm. Never Hmm. give up. Hmm. Let them know you're looking for them always, you know. And I hope one day that someone grows a conscience. Yes. The particular individual that I know in my heart did it. Hmm. He's got a girl and they've got children now. And I hope one day a conscience grows somewhere Mm. and that person will come and say, here you go, here's the evidence you need. Because Jonathan is known as an innocent on the street and he's not the only innocent person that's been killed. Lots are being killed Mm -hmm. because if you're in a gang, you're always waiting for that to happen. You know what I mean? You're waiting for the confrontation. You're waiting for the others to turn up all the time. But Jay wasn't in a gang. And most people that end up dying at a knife scene are normally the innocent ones because they're not equipped for it and they're not sitting waiting for it consciously to be happening. Like many a time I go into um, certain projects where people have to attend because of a crime they've committed and I never ask them to share why, why they're there, but if they do want to share, and I've watched a 16-year-old boy one day say to me, I'm a walking dead man. And I said, that's so sad to hear from a 16-year-old. I says, have you changed your ways? Have you done this? Have you done that? He goes, yeah, but it's too late. And that boy died six months later. So he knew Hmm. what he was involved in, Hmm. you know? Hmm. Where was his parents? Where was the people trying to help him? And you can only help so much because they it's like having an addiction. You have to want to not have the addiction yourself to be able to change the habit. Yeah, yeah. Now, it seems to me from what you said that you've channeled your pain in a positive way by becoming a relentless campaigner against knife crime, particularly in Islington. Is there any more you want to say about that? Well, I've already said it out loud and I'll say it again. Islington, wake up. Mm. You look like a posh borough. You have 60% of poverty in your borough. 60% of children go to school a day not having breakfast. Stop pretending that we're lords and ladies and be an everyday person because an everyday person can see what's going on in your borough and they need to. And as much as Islington Council, I do salute them. They are doing a lot of work to get this under control and the police are working within those boroughs 
and you can see some of the changes happening. But don't be ignorant to the fact that we've all got pretty looking houses and pretty looking areas because the crime is still there. And that's all I ever ask. Wake up, Islington. And this silence of being silent all the time, when it's your child's blood that's on the pavement, mm. will you still be silent? It's mm. a very good question. A very good question. Michelle, we're going to leave it there. Thank you for okay. taking the time to share your experience on the loss of your son, JJ, Jonathan McPhillips. And we here at Behind the Yellow Tape wish you all the best in your endeavours to bring his killers to justice. And we also applaud your efforts in the eradication of knife crime. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very Thank much. You. Since Jonathan J.J. McPhillips' murder in 2017, lots more young people have lost their lives to knife crime. And what these cases have in common is that almost no one has been held accountable. Even in the year of JJ's murder in 2017, according to the Metropolitan Police Homicide Dashboard, 27 homicides remain unsolved. The fact that no one has been caught and brought to justice for JJ's murder is a continuous case of rubbing salt into the wound and leaves his mother, Michelle McPhillips, in unspeakable agonising limbo. And not even a £20,000 reward put up by the Metropolitan Police for information that could lead to the killer or killers have been able to flush out such information. In the autumn of 2023, when this episode was recorded, there were 15 teenage homicides in London alone. All except two were victims of knife crime. And when someone is stabbed to death, the ripple effect is enormous. Not just for the family, but also for the wider community. About 12 years ago, I was on jury service at the Old Bailey. The case I was trying was one of murder, where the victim had been fatally stabbed. There were about eight co-defendants, and the harrowing details of the case were such that the judge, recognising how traumatic this experience was for us, the jury, that he formally excused us from sitting on a murder case for at least seven years. When will this epidemic of knife crime end, and how? Does the answer lie in a more suit-up, stop-and-search protocol? And is it a case that we need harsher sentences for those found carrying a knife without lawful excuse? What I know for sure is that something needs to change, from grassroots level, and a change that is lasting to prevent more families from experiencing such unbearable heartache and grief that was so painfully described by Michelle McPhillips.
Thanks for listening. I am J.A. Lovelock. Join us again next time as we go behind the yellow tape. Till then, catch up with more episodes at btytpodcast.com and on all podcast platforms. My name is Bill Huffman, and I am a former Cleveland News producer, and I am now the host of the podcast, Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Mahalovic, and now each week I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an evergreen podcast, killer podcasts, and slow burn media production. Subscribe today wherever you get your favorite shows.